Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Wednesday. It is October 4th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Plenty to get into with the Arizona Diamondbacks taking game one last night in Milwaukee. We'll dive into all of that and discuss game two tonight. Also, plenty more from around the wildcard matchups from yesterday. Uh, in addition to that, we'll take your phone calls, 602-260-1060, around 10.30 and 11.15, 602-260-1060 to chime in. But let's get things started here with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Do the Diamondbacks sweep the world, the, the wildcard series with a win today at Milwaukee? And this has gotten closer in vote from earlier. Yes, still leading the way at 56% of the vote. No trailing now at 44%. The Diamondbacks yesterday uh, combining the long ball, which they really haven't relied upon much this season. Um, you know, a lot of teams are home run reliant. The Diamondbacks, at least in the 162-game regular season, that was rarely the case. But certainly uh, the first four runs of the game yesterday, the long ball, and their final two runs were was a ball off the wall that almost uh, went out of the park in center field. Uh, so that was a little different. Also, superior relief pitching, um, that's been not exactly a consistent equation this year. And a tremendous Evan Longoria defense who saved at least two runs. You never actually know what's going to happen the rest of those innings, but he definitely saved at least two runs uh, with his three outstanding plays at third base. We'll dive into more of that here shortly, but still plenty of time for you to cast your vote, kdos1060.com, in which we will officially answer around 1130 today. Flipping this on over to Twitter at kdosam1060, Bob cut up with Ryan Aber of the Oklahoman discussing Oklahoma football and the Red River rivalry that is set to take place on Saturday. And I realized that I had a typo here in the question because I said, who do you have Sunday? And it definitely is taking place on Saturday. Who do you have Saturday at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas? Oklahoma plus six and a half or Texas minus six and a half. Texas leading the way at 85.7% of the vote. Oklahoma sitting at 14.3%. On Sunday, everybody at the Cotton Bowl or at the Dallas, the Texas State Fair will be hung over uh, and also have eaten way too much fried food on Saturday. So all kinds of you know ramifications on that Sunday after that game of which I've uh, fortunately, a very fun time attended back in the mid-90s. Have to, I'd have to actually look up the date and figure out which game I went to. One of those years, actually Oklahoma wasn't very good in those years. Texas was still you know, doing quite well. Uh, but anyway, uh, as far as this game goes, you know, last year, rarely do you have a game that was 49-0 one year, and the next year the point spread's only 6.5. <laughs> That must mean uh, a pretty big turnaround for one of the teams, and specifically on defense, you had to think they could only go up from where they were last year, talking about Oklahoma. 
Well, that's true. But also in that game, you know, Dylan Gabriel, the tech, the Oklahoma quarterback, was injured, concussed the week before. He didn't play. Uh, they didn't have a backup, and they basically just tried to run a wildcat the whole game. And they fell behind. And once you fall behind, if you don't have a quarterback that can throw, it's going to be bad. I remember watching about maybe a quarter and a half of that game last year and just tuned it out. And I completely forgot until like yesterday that this game was 49-0 last year. (laughs) (laughs) We will also answer that question today around 1130. Still time for you to cast your vote on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. So let's get things started here on this Wednesday, October 4th, recapping the Diamondbacks win over the Milwaukee Brewers yesterday, taking game one six to three. Brandon fought. He got the start. He ended up going two and two thirds, seven hits, three runs, one walk, four strikeouts, and one home run. Uh, he kind of settled in after a really shaky start, and then uh, they got him out of the game with then the bullpen doing some very good work. Joe Mantiply technically getting the win. Miguel Castro pitched. Ryan Nelson pitched. Ryan Thompson pitched. Kevin Ginkle giving two innings, one hit, four strikeouts, and Paul Seawald. They all pitched Seawald with the save, but obviously things turned around for the Diamondbacks where they found themselves in a 3-0 hole quickly, and they answered right back in the third uh, and eventually they themselves chased the Brewers starting pitcher Corbin Burns. Sure they hit three home runs off of Burns uh, very unusual uh, that that happened as I mentioned the Diamondbacks have rarely been home run reliant this season but obviously all their runs until the ninth inning were off of home runs off of Burns no less and Burns was gone after four innings. I beg to differ a little bit on uh, I thought Brandon Fott was not good. Uh, he got uh, you know, he had a couple dick hits in the first inning. That was you know not his fault. He got out of that first inning, but really he had no fastball location. He had no idea. You know the command was just awful, and it's a miracle that he did not give up more than three runs. Uh, and so, therefore, you have the Diamondbacks uh, doing some great work there with the bullpen, as I mentioned. Also, some great defensive play from Evan Longoria. You touched on it there, really potentially saving multiple different runs uh, with incredible play there at third. And there was one play that he ended up not getting the out, but he certainly saved it from being a double. Uh, So you never know what happens if you have runners in a scoring position. Yeah, I actually thought that was the best play that he made (laughs) of the three. Obviously made the diving play. That's just kind of an extensual extensual type thing at third base. You kind of catch it or you don't type of thing. And he did, and I, some horrendous base running by the Brewers at that time was Adamas got doubled off of second base, which should never happen. Then he had the play where he, you know, the, the you know, ground ball, the slow ground ball, he wasn't going to throw out the runner anyway at first base and bobbled the ball and Yelich round second base. And I kind of understood what Yelich's thinking was. He saw a vacant third base because obviously Longoria is the third baseman and he thought he was going to get, be able to get to third. I don't think he ever imagined that Longoria would spot that he overran the base and uh, that was an out. And then uh, the play that he made uh, you know, just to prevent, as you mentioned, the double down the left field line, which would have been a runner on second and one out in that inning. I think it was one out at that point. But you know, who knows what happens after those things? If there's, you know, like I said, he saved at least two runs for sure, 
on the catch on a line drive, and they made two other plays that saved likely saved more runs, but we really don't know how many because we didn't see, because he was so good. We didn't see the actual situation play out. You tell me if this is a little bit concerning here. Prior to Christian Walker providing some insurance runs in the ninth with the double off the wall, the D-backs were 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position, and you certainly every time that happened, uh, inning after inning that it took place, you were hoping that that would not be haunting for the team. Yeah, I certainly thought so at the time, and it was very reminiscent of pretty much the Diamondbacks after mid-June, which we've talked about many times. Uh, you know, the fact that they failed to add on runs when they've had opportunities. You know, their batting average and pretty much all their offensive numbers, uh, whether it be runners in scoring position or just basic bottom line offensive numbers, they are all down compared to what they did from, you know, the end of March when the regular season started till the middle of June. And from that point on, the middle of June on, all those numbers declined. And uh, you know that uh, the lack of you know scoring with you know, clutch hits basically, and I know that the metrics people hate the word clutch, but I'm sorry it does exist. And then they actually use in basketball they use the metrics people use the term clutch, clutch time at the end of NBA games, but they hate the word clutch. I've no understanding. Make up your mind, metrics people. Anyway, uh, but uh, the fact that. Uh, they weren't good in that area. The Brewers were bad, too, though. I mean, the Brewers were 3-for-11 with runners in scoring position, and for the game, the Brewers left 11 men on base. And that's, you know, considering it was a one-run game for five innings, basically, that's a huge deal that they left 11 guys on base. Absolutely. In the end, though, it is a Diamondbacks victory 6-1, to one, taking Game 1 in this three-game series here so they can wrap it up tonight, sending Zach Allen to the mound versus Freddie Peralta. I wanted to take a look at Zach Allen here on the season. There's been 34 starts for him, 210 innings pitched. His record is 17-9 with a 3.47 ERA, 220 strikeouts, and 47 walks. When you look at his home and away splits, uh, home, 2.47 ERA. ERA 12 and 3 16 games started at home 102 innings pitched and he's given up seven home runs away from Chase Field it's a 4.42 ERA 5 and 6 record 18 games started 108 innings pitched and he's given up 15 home runs uh, on the season here but Zach Allen obviously the ace for the Diamondbacks here you want him going tonight yeah, I don't really care about the home run stuff and the home away stuff I could care less he's a veteran pitcher um, yeah, he's had some bad starts on the road too. So, uh, and uh, yeah, he's had some bad starts at home, not as many. Uh, but even though last couple of uh, months of the season, he had a couple of not so good home performances. But he is the dude you went out there. I think the most important thing that happened yesterday is that Craig Council decided to use his entire high leverage bullpen. All of them pitched yesterday, including Devin Williams, their all star closer, who didn't have it yesterday. Through 31 pitches to get two outs in the ninth inning yesterday, and uh, through 15 strikes, and for the Brewers to win this series, they're going to win have to win three straight days. What's Williams' availability uh, for the next little days now? Because he went uh, he threw 31 pitches yesterday. 
Uh, speaking of pitchers, so f- taking a look at Freddie Peralta this season, he's 30 starts, uh, 165 and two-thirds innings pitched. He's had a 12 and 10 record, 3.86 ERA, 210 strikeouts and 54 walks. At home, 3.44 ERA, a 7 and 4 record, 16 games started, 89 inning- innings pitched, and he's given up 14 home runs at home for the Brewers. He's a high volatile guy. Uh, it seems like he's either dominant or far from dominant. So I think we get a usually, and I've watched a lot of the Brewers this year. I've seen a lot of Peralta the last two or three years. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had him on a fantasy team. Uh, and then last year, I would throw out last year, he was injured multiple times a season ago. But when he's on, he's really difficult to hit. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how long he goes. You know, usually kind of best case scenario, he's like a six inning guy. But the fact that the Brewers used all their high leverage relievers yesterday, how are they going to go about that today? Certainly, the, everything pressure-wise is squarely on the Brewers here. They're the ones that, uh, you know, expected to kind of be in this situation. They earned the three seed, winning their division, uh, and now they're down in a hole at home 0-1, so the pressure is squarely on them. I agree with that. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, like I said, it's just going to be very intrigued to see how the Brewers are. I'm also curious to see what they do lineup-wise. You know, the fact that Jesse Winker was even on the postseason roster after basically not playing at hardly at all or at all for the last like month and a half or so, that was surprising. And he had a you know, key at bat and you know, he tried to make people thought he got hit by a pitch, whatever, but he had no chance uh, in that uh, at bat that he had. So uh, the Brewers, you know, there's a lot going on and uh, you know, a lot going on with what happened with Craig Council. He's, on, uh, you know, he's a free agent as uh, whenever the Brewers season ends. And most people seem to believe that he's already headed to be the next New York Mets manager starting next year. The game gets started 4 o'clock on ESPN2. Zach Gallen, Freddie Peralta, Game 2 in this wild card matchup. We'll dive into more from around baseball yesterday as the other wild card matchups were underway. So we'll discuss uh, the other National League contest as well as the American League contest on the other side of the break. We'll take your phone calls today around 10.30 and 11.15, uh, 602 260 1060 1060 more extra point on this wednesday october 4th is coming up on the other side of the break bob kemp kayla mortellaro with you up until noon today as we typically do mondays wednesdays thursdays and fridays sports topics weekly right here on KDUS AM 1060 with me the Doug Gottlieb show 1 3 p.m. point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Wednesday. It is October 4th. Continuing our baseball discussion from yesterday and a look ahead to today's Game 2 contests, we'll get started with the first game from yesterday, which was the Rangers and the Rays. First up, 
We have to talk about the history that was set here. Just 19,704 fans were in attendance to watch the Rangers and the Rays compete yesterday. It ended up being the lowest attendance for a postseason game since Game 7 of the 1919 World Series in Cincinnati. Those statistics coming from The Athletic. As for the contest... Okay, time out there. That's a little inaccurate because you know, that's the non-pandemic year because they were obviously postseason games played with no fans yeah they uh, were excluding so, uh that the yeah. the pandemic so i just want to make year. i just want to make sure because i'm sure somebody's screaming hey, what about the pandemic year so that's the, the deal there and actually having been in tampa st pete for the super bowl with the cardinals it is a pain in the ass to get from tampa to st pete and if you get on that st pete highway literally you can't even turn around for several miles uh, so going from Tampa midday to St. Pete is just a complete pain. And I'm guessing some people that we may be, well, maybe we'll go to the game. I'm guessing that that played a role. There's no excuse really to me, in my opinion, but if that's the problem that they have because the stadiums in St. Pete and the majority of people that live in that area live in the Tampa part of things. It is a geographic nightmare, though, for St. Pete, and they're going to build a new stadium there in a couple of years, apparently. Yeah, I believe, what, Sorry. 2028, 2027, yeah. something like that? Yeah, so good luck. Good luck. I mean, uh, the, you could get a long line of people. You could actually, if you have that 15-mile you know, road from Tampa to St. Pete, you could probably line people up in that whole road of uh, the folks who would like to attend the implosion of that stupid dome that currently have in St. Pete right now. As for the baseball yesterday, the Rangers won 4-0. Jordan Montgomery for the Rangers, seven innings, six hits, yeah. five strikeouts. He was good. Tyler Glasnow for the Rays, five innings, six hits, four runs, five walks, eight strikeouts. Yeah, he was uh, – Montgomery was dominating. Well, dominating is kind of stretching it. He did have six strikeouts, no walks, did give up seven hits, got some good defense. We'll get to the defense and the Rays in a moment. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was a that was imperative because Bruce Bochy did not have to extend his highly questionable or bad bullpen in this game. Araldus Chapman pitched a scoreless eighth inning, and Jose Leclerc pitched a scoreless ninth. So they only needed two innings from their bullpen, and uh, that's uh, kind of the perfect recipe for Bochy and this uh, with this edition of the Rangers. And I think he's probably holding his breath even when those guys are out in the mound. Uh, so for this game, though, obviously now you have uh, you had kind of been discussing the Rays were running on fumes, but yet they continue to win some games in the regular season. Now going up against here with the Rangers, uh, what'd you see from the Rays yesterday in this game? Horrendous defense. Uh, some of the worst defense that we've seen in any postseason game ever, and I'm not exaggerating. Uh, they had a uh, franchise most four errors in a postseason game. It was the most errors that the Rays have had in any game this season. 163 games they've now played, and that was the most games errors they had in any game. They've been a good defensive team for not just this year, but for several years. Very uncharacteristic. You know, they really. You know, we talked about many times during the season. They, uh, the majority of their starting pitchers were injured for the season. Uh, they need to win these games that Glassnow pitches. 
Uh, he has a horrible postseason history now, by the way. It just kind of continues, unfortunately, for him and them. Uh, and uh, he only made it through four. He threw 98 pitches in four innings, and that was in part because his defense was so bad. And he had to throw several extra pitches in the third, second or third inning. Um, too many games yesterday. I didn't exactly write down the innings here. And also was kind of traveling around the valley, going to lunch and a couple other places at that time. So I was trying to keep track. But anyway, he had to throw a ton of pitches. He hasn't been great anyway in the, in the postseason, and that unfortunately extended. We'll see what happens today. Uh, Zach Eflin, who has kind of been the savior of the, of the rotation to begin the season, obviously he's have to be the savior today. And you got Nathan Evaldi going, who is, you know, on – we talked about this before the All-Star game, that he was on pace for 200 and some innings. This is a guy that's had two Tommy John surgeries already. Not surprisingly, he got hurt. And he's pitched just a few innings since he's come back the last time from injury this year. I don't know how long he can actually go today, so we'll see how that goes. But I certainly – I can understand why the Rays are a heavy favorite today. But they were a heavy favorite yesterday. They're the biggest favorite of anything. Well, the second biggest favorite. The Diamondbacks were the biggest underdog yesterday. But the uh, the Rangers the second biggest underdog. And so much for this traveling across the country stuff. And once again, you know, you know a team that you know had no the momentum. I hate that word. Uh, had no nothing going for them at the end of the regular season. Much like the Diamondbacks, quite frankly. But the Rangers blew the division the last three games of the regular season. They have to go across the country. They're not playing a home game. They don't get this week off. And then they end up going to Tampa and winning the game yesterday. You mentioned Nathan Avaldi here. He missed time with right forearm strain. He was uh, churning up innings like you talked about. Uh, so if you take a look at his July before he ended up uh, going on the injured list, he had a 1.96 ERA in three starts, 18 and a third innings pitched, no home runs given up in oven walks. If you look at his September when he returned, a 9.30 ERA, six starts in the month of September, 20 and a third innings pitched. He gave up seven right. home runs and 13 walks. So to your point, uh, you know, what Nathan Ovaldi are the Rangers going to get? I don't think they know. I mean, roughly not even four innings to start. Uh, since he came back for the final time uh, for this season. So uh, I, I'm assuming that uh, Bruce Bochy at the first sign of trouble, I don't exactly know who he gets up in the bullpen, uh, but the bullpen's going to be hot pretty quickly in this game with the first sign of issues. But you know, they do have a game to play with now because they won yesterday. Uh, what is that phrase in baseball that momentum is only as good as your next day's starting pitcher? That's right. I haven't used that since the last hour. <laughs> so <laughs> <Very good. laughs> uh, I think the, yesterday, I think uh, it was a, a prime example of that uh, with this game here with Montgomery uh, on the good side and, uh, you know, the Diamondbacks uh, beating Corbin Burns. And those were the two biggest favorites yesterday were Tampa Bay and Milwaukee. Moving on to the Blue Jays and the Twins here. First up, the Twins uh, snap the longest uh, drought 
in American sports when it comes to playoffs here. Their last postseason win came in 2004, and it snapped an 0-18 attempt, which was the worst playoff losing streak in American sports as they won yesterday 3-1 over the Blue Jays. For the Blue Jays, Kevin Gosman, he went four innings, three hits, three runs, three walks, five strikeouts, two home runs, uh, and Lewis was the hero. He got to him in the first, also homered off of him again in the third. Pablo Lopez for the Twins, five and two-thirds, five hits, one run, two walks, and three strikeouts. Yeah, Gosman not good. You mentioned the two home runs to Royce Lewis. Royce Lewis is a great story. He was the he was the first overall pick of the entire draft uh, when he came out. He's had two knee surgeries. I believe he even had a shoulder surgery at some point. Uh, he's come back uh, off and on this year. He's been hurt once or twice this season too, not surgery wise, but uh, yeah, he's a. Uh, Obviously, enormously talented, big-time pedigree if you're the first overall pick of the draft. Uh, but hit a two-run homer in the first and then a solo homer in his next to bat in the third inning. His first two career postseason playoff at bats. The Twins' defense, as opposed to the Rays' defense, was ter- which was terrible, their defense was tremendous. Michael A. Taylor, a Gold Gloves-level center fielder, made two excellent catches including robbing Matt Chapman of a home run, which would have actually tied the game. Max Kepler in the right field made a great play. Carlos Correa back from injury. Remember, he didn't end the season on the end uh, end of the regular season on the injured list. He came back, made a great throw to end an inning to gun down Bo Bichette at home home plate when it was 3-0 at that point. So they play great defense, and they, that's pretty much what they do. They play really good defense, and they did. Now you got to wonder about Toronto. They've lost seven consecutive postseason games. That's over several years, and a whole bunch of different players and managers, executives, etc. But that was, uh, you know, they're, they're you know, certainly stumbling here a little bit. And the Minnesota crowd yesterday, of all the crowds, I thought made the biggest difference. Uh, even in Philadelphia, but uh, the crowd noise in Minnesota, it, w- it was so bad that they had problems with a calm thing in their ears and uh, pitchers on the mound. Gosman had some issues with that. Uh, so, you know, that crowd noise made a huge difference uh, for Minnesota. And people, I think, remember when Minnesota was winning World Series back in the late 80s and early 90s when they played the Dome. The crowd was a, an enormous advantage for Minnesota. And uh, outdoors yesterday at Target Field, I thought that played a big role yesterday, too. Uh, today, it's going to be Jose Barrios versus Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray, 8-8, eight eight, 2.79 ERA, 184 innings pitched. He does have a slightly better ERA at home, but he's basically been pretty darn consistent wherever he's pitched. Yeah, they these two pitching staffs have been very good. Barrios... Uh, has had a real bounce back season after a terrible season a year ago. And uh, Gray is, you know, I think from start to finish, he's actually been their best pitcher. And there were you know, quite a few people, uh, including network television people yesterday, or even before yesterday, but when it was announced that, uh, you know, they were going to, you know, basically that Gray was not going to pitch game one and that Lopez was, that there was a surprise. So now the Twins win with Lopez on the mound, which some people didn't think he'd be start, should be starting game one. And those people think that Gray's the best pitcher, and now he's pitching game two. 
Let's take a break, and on the other side, we'll recap the Phillies and the Marlins and discuss today's contest over in the National League. We'll also make room for your phone calls if you'd like to join the program. Give us a call now. We'll talk to you on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060 is the number. 602-260-1060. We'll also dive into uh, some power rankings, this time looking into Frank Schwa of Yahoo Sports' power rankings for the NFL. So we'll do that in combination with Phillies, Marlins, your phone calls, and some NFL discussion here on the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Super Sports, 602-260-1060. If you'd like to chime in, we'll talk to you on the other side of the break. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Wednesday. It is October 4th. If you'd like to chime in, we'll certainly take your calls. 602-260-1060. Continuing the recap from yesterday with the wild card round in the Major League Baseball playoffs. And we'll take a look at the Phillies and the Marlins with the Phillies on top 4-1. to one. Jesus Lazardo, four innings pitched, eight hits, three runs runs five strikeouts meanwhile Zach Wheeler was very good six and two-thirds innings five hits one run eight strikeouts and then Craig Kimbrell picked up the save for the Phillies yeah I know this was only a three-run game but at no point did I think the Phillies were not going to win this game uh Wheeler was tremendous I mean he's developing into a big-time postseason pitcher going back to last year obviously also, the Marlins show their inexperience and their youth, etc. Uh, in the uh, you know, really at the start of this game and then at the end of this game, first two innings, Wheeler only had to throw ten pitches in the first, ten pitches in the second, and at the end of the game, I thought that the Marlins were way too impatient uh, and eager, and I understand it. I mean, most of these guys are kind of going through this for the first time for them, at least. And with the exception of Jorge Soler, who was the World Series MVP for Atlanta a couple years ago. But other than that, not a whole lot of postseason experience. And I just thought that they were, they looked like a young team that was anxious. You know, you know, you know, basically they had a couple of bats in the ninth inning that you're just, what are they, you know, maybe you should take a strike or, you know, swing at a better pitch. Or pitch election was just anxious. So we'll see. I thought the only chance that really uh, the, the only moment I thought, well, maybe the Phillies aren't going to win this game was in the top of the seventh inning when uh, Alvarado came in out of the bullpen for Wheeler and uh, you know, Yuri Gurriel was the pinch hitter for, uh, for the Miami Marlins. And he certainly has posting experience having won a world series with the Astros, at least one, I think a couple for the Astros. But I think he was on the, ro- the roster when they won the other time too. Uh, but he got him, he, he struck him out for the final out of that inning. That was the only moment or a few minutes there, however that bat lasted, that I thought well, maybe Philly's a little trouble here. Uh, but no, the Phillies should have scored more runs. They had at least one hit from everybody in their lineup yesterday, and they still only scored four runs in that game. 
Uh, Lazardo, um did the best he could, but you know, he's really not enough. He's not a wild card NL, AL, anything starting pitcher in a postseason series, uh, at least in my opinion. Uh, I think he's actually better being like a bulk guy out of the bullpen, etc. But they're stuck because you know their top two starters got injured and they're out for the season. What do you think about this in general here? So the situation was Bryce Harper, he's rounding third. He is going full out. The third base coach uh, sticks up the stop sign. He blows right through it, but he ends up scoring easily. Like it was not a close contest whatsoever. So it was the right call uh, going home, getting that run. But obviously blew right through the stop sign. This is playoff baseball. What do you kind of make of that particular situation? Do you err on the side of the player feeling like he, he senses something in that moment? I think it depends on what's happened previously. And earlier in this game, the uh, third base coach, and I, uh, I, might, I apologize, I don't, uh, his name escapes me at the moment, uh, he did not send Kyle, you know, Kyle Schwarber on an obvious sacrifice play, sacrifice fly play to right field, or would have been a sacrifice fly had he tagged up and scored, which he could have done easily. And I understand there was no outs in the inning, and this was a big deal. Even after the game, uh, you know, they, that was a question in the press conference uh, to you know everybody. Uh, but yeah, the, I, Harper saw that, and uh, you know, I think he just kind of decided. You know, I'm going. I'm going to score here, and uh, I don't know if it's a lack of respect for the third base coach at that point, but you know, he clearly, the third base coach, had erred in the first inning and cost them a run. A Dusty Wathen is the third base coach for the Phillies. Okay, I, 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 at least I didn't forget. I don't think I ever knew that actually. So at least I didn't forget it. <laughs> Very good. I'll, I'll, I'll write this down and try not to forget it again. Right now, all eyes will I'm, be on Dusty today's contest. Uh, when that's it right. I, I wrote. Yeah, I won't forget in the future. The future because I didn't forget this time because I didn't know that was. I didn't know that who he. I don't really know who he is. Quite frankly, I don't know what his background is or whatever, but. That was a bad error in judgment. I couldn't believe he didn't send him at the time. And uh, the people, shockingly, some of the people in the Philadelphia and the Phillies crowd booed in Philadelphia. My God. Braxton Garrett versus Aaron Nola today. Aaron Nola, 12-9, 4.46 ERA, 193 and two-thirds innings pitched. It has been a little bit different for him, home and away. Yeah. 3.29 ERA, 14 games started at home, 87 and two-thirds innings pitched, 12 home runs, 17 walks given up away. 5.43 ERA, 18 games started, 106 innings pitched. He gives up 20 home runs away, 28 walks away. Away. I don't understand the home runs away because it's a you know, tougher ballpark to not give up home runs at home. So, you know, I think you maybe noticed here, I could care less about these home and away numbers unless the Rockies are involved and they're not in the playoffs. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Nola is, I will say, certainly, uh, I think it's safe to say, uh, accurate to say that he's been inconsistent this year. He's still dominant at times. But yeah, there has been some outings. You mentioned those, you know, the overall ERA numbers. That's much higher than it usually has been for him. He's also a free agent at the end of the year, so it'll be interesting to see how this all works out and whether it works out in Philadelphia. But uh, it's, uh, you know, he's not as dominant. Just go back to last year in the playoff run. He had some dominant performances in some of those games and actually a couple of not-so-good performances 
So, you know, I could certainly understand why Wheeler pitched game one. I don't even think there was really much of an argument. I don't even know if there was any discussion that Wheeler was going to be pitching game one ahead of Nola, so we'll see. Yeah, you brought it up there just about the inconsistencies that he's been through this year. And if you looked at last year versus this year, last year was an incredibly dominating performance. And it's not like this year was bad. I guess you were just kind of expecting uh, it to kind of build from what he did last year. And it was just more inconsistent this season. Well, I'll even throw it out just a uh, fantasy baseball type of thing. We had an opportunity in the and uh, our mixed league, uh, my partner and myself, to trade for Aaron Nola. I was probably in favor of that, and he was not. And I think that he was right in the long term that that was we were best not to. Aaron Nola would not have helped us any. And unfortunately, we ended up losing that league in the last two weeks and uh, had nothing to do with uh, any of our pitching decisions and what we did and what we didn't do. Unfortunately for us, we had like three key offensive players who all got hurt in the last couple of months of the season. You know, actually, this is the first time in a while that I haven't been sitting next to you at Cardinals games with the fantasy baseball uh, implications on the line and stress brewing from your side of things. Well, it wouldn't have been much stress on Sunday because we were pretty much eliminated on Saturday (laughs) this year. But uh, there has been a... There was one year where we were in the same in the press box at a Cardinals home game, and I won the league uh, that particular year. That was the Prescott League back in the day, which it was the, the you know unfortunately for better or for worse, probably for worse, one of the most important things in my life on an <laughs> annual basis. And I had won this league. I'd finished first, you know, I finished like second or third a billion times. I'd won a bunch of times in the '90s, early part of this century. And then was just like always falling short, and I ended up uh, taking the lead in like the last two innings of the season. And I remember going into the restroom in the Cardinals press box, which is actually a pretty quiet place, and just letting out a scream, kind of a primal type of thing. Yeah, like yeah. So yeah, that was a that was a that was a great moment. <laughs> so, and then I tried to calmly return to my seat and sit next to you and watch the football. I don't remember the hell. I don't remember the. Hell, I have no idea the Cardinals were playing that day. Don't remember, but I do remember exactly the moment that, we, that I won the league. Yeah, well, I didn't actually hear the extracurricular part of that story with the primal scream. So this is new to me. So oh, thank yeah. you for for oh, sharing yeah. that part of it. Um, well, nobody, you know how that quiet, you know, the press yeah. box, you can't hear what's going on in the bathroom, and there was nobody in there, so I just, you know, screamed, going, <laughs> yeah, something like that. I'm guessing of maybe a couple of expletives or stuff thrown in there, but it was fun. Frank Schwab's power rankings, we'll dive into that on the other side of the break. I have a feeling it'll be split up between hour one and hour two as well as we'll start at number 10. Frank Schwab, Yahoo Sports, friend of the program. We'll dive into all of that next as we wrap up hour number one on the other side. KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. 
It is Wednesday. It is October 4th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Morlaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Figured we could mix things up a little bit with some power rankings and use Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports' power rankings to do some discussion. And I did some uh, analyzing as well with some statistics and numbers with some of the teams that he had listed here for the full 32. You can head on over to uh, KD, not KDOS, you can head on over to Yahoo Sports for Frank Schwab's power rankings here. But we'll start with uh, number 10, and that being the Cleveland Browns. They are 2-2 two two on the season. My questions here are, and it's been similar questions this entire season, what are we expecting from Deshaun Watson? We've seen a game now where he's looked fair. We've seen a game where he's looked bad. We've seen a game where he's looked good. And we've seen a game where he hasn't played. So those are still some central points of emphasis here, especially now you don't have Nick Chubb. The defense, I would say, is still really good, but questions about the health with Miles Garrett now. True. I think you can make a case that uh, you know, they're two best players. Uh, he's obviously Chubb's out for the season. Now, the good news, I don't know if we talked about this. I didn't talk about it in the sports zone. I don't think we brought it up in the extra point that you know the extensive surgery that he was expected to have, it's not going to be nearly as extensive as they originally thought. So good news for him. It's still surgery. It's still the same knee that he entered at Georgia, but not uh, the complications that they originally you know, reported or were reported. I don't know if the Browns actually said that ever, but reported by the insiders, et cetera, on the various networks. So that's good, but he's obviously out for the season. Also, his backup, Ford, got hurt last week in that game, which was kind of lost in the shuffle. Everything else was going wrong for the Browns in that game. The right tackle situation is a mess. Obviously, Conklin is out for the season again. He's been out, I believe it's now two of the last three seasons, the majority of the seasons. Uh, so to me, that's those those two things, and you mentioned the Miles Garrett thing. So you got your best offensive player, your best defensive player, and your right tackle who, when he plays, is usually playing at an all-pro level. All those guys are something wrong with them, or two of the three are out for the season. Number nine on Frank Schwab's power linking ranking list here is the Seahawks. They're three and one. Uh, we got to see Devin Witherspoon. He's fun. He showcased what he's all about on Monday night. But for the Seahawks, you have some offensive line injuries that are certainly a concern here. Uh, and then just how this offense is going to continue to evolve. But don't know if we can know what the offense is going to evolve into if some of these offensive line injuries continue to linger. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the actually, it looks like they're going to get a couple of those guys back. They actually thought they might get, uh, you know, one of their tackles back this past week. So we'll see what happens. Unfortunately, they lost another player offensive line wise during that game on Monday. The Witherspoon thing, not that surprised. Uh, watched, you know, out. You know, that's when Illinois had a good defense. <laughs> that was last year. They had the nation's top defense statistically. Didn't play the greatest offensive schedule in the world, but uh, they had the. And he was a huge part of that, and he's a, you know exactly what you saw on Monday night is what you what you saw last year when he was in Illinois and a very aggressive cornerback, uh, certainly not afraid to talk. <laughs> so uh, that he actually did a you know I don't usually watch many of these pregame uh, postgame interviews, but I did watch the one on ESPN on Monday night before I fell asleep in my lazy boy chair right after he got done, I think. But, uh, you know, he, he's a really good impact player. And I remember, I remember the draft, 
uh, when we came on the day after the draft. Uh, that, that was one of the picks that I thought was one of the best picks in the entire draft. And for the second straight year, it appears uh, that the uh, Seahawks have you know, knocked it out of the park with their draft. Yeah, they absolutely have knocked it out of the park with their draft. And you're just kind of thinking about it, too. Pete Carroll, I know he is running up and down on the sidelines, and you don't realize he's in his 70s at the time. But, uh, you know, going through a rebuild like he did, making the decision to move on from Russell Wilson, it helps that Geno Smith obviously turned out to be this version of Geno Smith because having a, a, a competent quarterback really sets you up to be able to draft where they had other holes and other needs. But obviously, uh, right. going through and, and that John- process, and John, and, and, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but John Schneider deserves a ton of credit for that too. He's done an excellent job play personnel-wise. Even though when they were you know winning championships and were a championship contender on a seemingly regular basis, a lot of those drafts were built by what Schneider did after the first round. He's had you know a couple of first and second, more than a couple first and second round picks that really have not exactly panned out. But you know, there there can't be many organizations, if any, in the NFL that has had more impact players drafted and say like after the first two days of the draft than the Seahawks have had for several years running now. I will say this here more on the Seahawks is that I did feel bad. Jamal Adams waited so long to finally get the chance to play and only a few plays. And then uh, Daniel Jones, and it was just a fluke play too, hitting him in the head and he ended up getting a concussion and was unable to continue in the contest. So that was uh, really unfortunate there for Jamal Adams. But we'll continue with power rankings on the other side of the break as we kickstart our number two of the extra point on this Wednesday, October 4th. It's all coming up next. We'll be right back. 